Well, good morning, Chapel family. I encourage you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the Gospel of John. We're in the midst of a series looking at passages in the Gospel of John where Jesus describes Himself in His own words. There's still nine messages left. We're answering the question really in this series, Who is Jesus? It's really the purpose for John's writing of this Gospel. In the next to the last chapter in John's Gospel, he ends with these words that there are many other things that were written, that Jesus did, that aren't written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe and that, that you, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. The whole question John is trying to help us answer is this question, who is Jesus? And as we we're looking in our little study, looking at these phrases as Jesus describes Himself, hoping to get a better picture of who Jesus is. In the 4th century A.D., there was a man by the name of Arius. Arius was ordained as an elder in the church of Alexandria in the year 311. Somewhere along the line as an elder, a preacher there in Alexandria, he began to teach that although Jesus was the Christ, though He was the Son of God, Arius said He could not be co-eternal with the Father and equal with the Father, so He was a creature of the Father. And so began Arianism an erroneous teaching that Jesus is somewhat less than fully God. Over the next half of a century, there were two church councils convened with leaders, elders from all over Christianity to gather and they they discussed and debated and denounced this heresy. And out of those two councils came the Nicene Creed. Uh, something if you've never read it or looked at it, you ought to. You can find it. It's even in our hymnal. I think it's in the back of the hymnal. I think it's something like number 717 or something like that. But it's it's well worth reading and looking at it. It was specifically addressing this error that Jesus is something less than God. And it also addressed in its final form the another issue with the Holy Spirit that He also is God, but that's our focus this morning here is Jesus Christ. Arianism, while it was denounced by those councils and kind of put to rest in the creed, it didn't go away. And Arianism is still with us today. It shows up with somebody knocking on your door from Jehovah's Witness or from the Mormons or from Christadelphians or many other cults. They are happy to say that Jesus, there's something really special about Him. He is a God. He is even God. They will maybe give Him the title that He is the angel of the Lord or He is the Son of God. And all things, we would say that Jesus is the Son of God and He is the angel of the Lord. He is these things, but in the process of the way they say it and what they mean is that they deny that He is fully God. That He is 
the God of gods. That He is the full, sovereign, eternal, creator God. The New Testament clearly says that Jesus is God. If you need references, there's a few. We won't go over them this morning. If you need to talk about that, call me. We can, we can discuss it. But there are some that insist that, yeah, well, I know the Bible teaches, the New Testament teaches that Jesus is God, but He Himself never claimed to be God. You may have heard somebody say that before. Jesus never claimed to be God. And in fact, if you take out your Bible and you look through and read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will look in vain to find anywhere where Jesus says, I am God. Never says it in that tone or any other tone. So, did Jesus claim to be God? Yes. To say He didn't is to be ignorant of what He did say. He never used those words, but Jesus in many ways and at many times did claim to be God. The passage before us today as we continue in this this series looking at places where Jesus said, I am, we come to John chapter 8 and verse 58. And that's going to be our focus this morning. But Jesus' enemies well understood that He claimed to be God. A good example is a few chapters before this, the end of chapter 5 in verse 18, where John wrote this, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, you remember He healed a lame man on the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. See, the Jews understood very well that whenever Jesus called Himself the Son of God, or He called God His Father, that in the theological understanding of that sense, in the Jewish understanding of that sense, that to be the Son of, to be, for God to be His Father, Jesus is being equal with God. And for that reason, the Jews in chapter 5 want to kill Him. Today we come to here in John 8.58, and I think it's probably the most clearest and the boldest statement from Jesus Himself that He is indeed God. After chapter 5, after that confrontation with the, with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, in the temple, Jesus left Jerusalem and for the next year and a half to two years, Jesus stayed away from Jerusalem. He was mostly up in, in Galilee. And then we saw a few weeks ago in John chapter 7, Jesus came back to Jerusalem at, in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. He came to celebrate that great feast. And in the middle of that feast, He came into Jerusalem, into the temple, and began to teach. And so, all through chapter 7 and here into chapter 8 is this time during the feast and then the feast ends and for a day or several days afterwards of Jesus in the midst of a series of verbal wrestling matches with the religious leaders as as Jesus teaches and as they are trying to trap Him, catch Him. They try several times to arrest Him and never are able to do that. The confrontations and the verbal stuff between them gets more and more escalated as Jesus makes more and more bold and, from a human point of view, outrageous claims. 
And the Jewish leaders get more and more heated until the end of chapter 8, they pick up stones and are going to kill Him. And Jesus at that point exits the temple and leaves Jerusalem apparently not to return until, or not to return to the temple at least, until about two months after this, which will be the December, that'll be chapter 10, by the way, which will be about three months before Jesus is crucified. That's the backstory. Our verse of focus here is chapter 8, verse 58. The end of this confrontation, and Jesus says here in 8.58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And you might read that and say, now wait, is this really a claim to be God? And is it really that clear? Again, it's the climax, the culmination of a longer thing here. We're not going to go all the way back to chapter 7, but we will go back to where we left off last week. We were in chapter 8. And we're going to pick it up in verse 21. And this really is the discussion, this, the rest of this day-long discussion and we're not going to be able to read every verse because it's fairly lengthy and we've got at least two or three hours of material if we wanted to go through it all. But what I'm going to do is just hit some of the highlights and to help us kind of work our way through the passage, I'm going to break it into four segments. Each segment it kind of depends upon a, or, or is centered around a question that these Jewish leaders had about Jesus. And so going back to verse 21 where we're going to start, and, and by the way, as we look at these sections, what I'm going to put on the screen is, is I'm going to list the claims that Jesus makes. As I say, the claims get more bold and more, from a human point of view, outrageous. And I want us to just kind of get a mental list and maybe you'll even want to jot them down. And look, we're going to see about 23, 24, 25, depending on how you count them, different claims that Jesus makes. And by the end of it, you come to the conclusion, as these Jewish leaders do, that Jesus either has to be nutty as a fruitcake. If you've never seen a fruitcake, they got lots of nuts. Or, He is God. Those are your choices. Chapter 8, verse 21. Jesus says, He said to them, Again, I am going away. And it's again because He said the same thing back in chapter 7. He said to them again, I am going away and you will seek Me and you will die in your sin for where I am going, you cannot come. The question that's going to be on the minds of this, these religious leaders right here is, where are you going? Jesus is saying He's going somewhere and they don't get where it is He's going. They didn't get it back in chapter 7 and they really don't get it here. And Jesus says, I am going where you cannot come. Now they don't get what He's saying. He makes it clear, especially back in the chapter before, He's going back to the one who sent Him. He's going to go back to heaven. But when they don't get it, they respond basically with fake news. <laughs> it's nothing new. Politi politics has been a blood sport. And here they make up some... When Jesus says, I'm going where you cannot come, some of these folks are thinking, where is He going that He cannot come? Well, I know there's one place that he's going to go that we won't go and we can't go is hell. 
And then what he's going to do, he's going to kill himself and go to hell. And so they start the fake news. Do you think he's going to kill himself? Yeah, I think he's going to kill himself. And they start the little muttering starts, oh, he's going to kill himself. Do you think so? Really? I think so. That's what it happens there in verse 22. Verse 23, Jesus gives us a clue. He says, He said to them, You are from below and I am from above. You are from this world. I am not of this world. Jesus says, I'm from above, not from this world. Now, either, and I, actually I don't think this, I'll just say, he's not going off on some weird Scientology, uh, science fiction little tale here, okay? Jesus isn't saying, you know, I'm a Thetan from the planet Xenon, you know, and, and I'm... No. When Jesus says, I am from above and I'm not from this world, He's saying, I am from... Heaven, you guys got it. Guess what? You guys are smart. All the Jews got that too. They knew that. When he's saying he's from above, not from this earth, he's saying he's from heaven. Jesus goes on the next verse, verse 24. I told you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. By the way, in your Bible where it says, I am He, that little word, he in the English isn't there in the Greek. Literally what Jesus says is, for unless you believe that I am, it's the same phrase in verse 28 where Jesus says, I am. Same thing He says here in verse 24. It says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So Jesus has just made three big statements, big claims. And it raises the question among these Jewish leaders that they ask in verse 25, Who are you? If you say that if we don't believe you are, if you don't believe I am, we'll die in our sins, well, who is I am? Who are you? And so Jesus said to them, verse 25, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. The answer about who I am, it's, have you not been listening? <laughs> it's what I've been telling you all along, all the last few days, all the way back in chapter 5, all along. It's what I've been telling you. Verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Verse 27, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And as He was saying these things, many believed in Him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, we're going to list the claims of Jesus here. And they're asking, who are you? Verse 26, Jesus said that He is the messenger. I have much to say, and He's been sent by God. I'm the messenger, and He's also, He said, the judge. I have many things to judge. It's a big deal with the Jews because they understand the only person who is the judge is God. Again, little seeds being planted all along here. 
What else did Jesus say? He said, I have been sent here by the one who is true. The true one. Who is the true one? Well, you and I know the true one is God. Also in verse 26, Jesus says, I declare what I have heard from Him. I'm a messenger. I have much to say and much to judge. I've been sent by the true one and I declare what He's what I've heard from Him. Verse 28, Jesus says, One day you will know who I am. He says it this way. He says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He. Jesus often called Himself the Son of Man. By the way, that's also a little title that says that He's claiming to be Messiah, but that's another subject. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, He's talking about the cross. They don't know that yet. But He knows that in... Just six months, five months, they're going to hang him on a cross. And he says, when you do, you'll know. Now let's think back or think ahead from this text. But you remember what happens on the day that they hang Jesus on the cross. As he is hanging there from noon till three o'clock. Darkness settles in on the land. Not darkness like a storm cloud where it gets kind of dark and kind of scary, but dark, it says, like at midnight. Pitch black. In the middle of the day. Hey, it's going to be freaky. I'm so looking forward, by the way, totally not my notes, and I, but I have a second. This year, there's a total eclipse of the sun right here over St. Louis in August. I've already got it on my calendar. I'm blocking out the whole day, even though it's only a little bit of time. I'm excited. But you know what? Total eclipse. It doesn't get, as what I understand, it doesn't get like midnight. This got the tension. Something else happened when he died. Do you remember? And actually we sang about it. There was an earthquake. The veil in the temple, the curtain in the temple, and that was in the song too, I noticed. It, the 60-foot curtain, four inches thick, separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Ripped from top to bottom. Matthew even tells us that, that during that earthquake, tombs were opened and saints, believers, real believers, came back to life. And went into town and talked to people. It's no wonder that Matthew records Matthew chapter 27 when the centurion and those with him, the other guards who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified and they exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. You see, Jesus said, You're going to know. You hang me on that tree. You lift me up. You're going to know I am He. Luke records the crowd that was there, all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle. They had, you know, let's go to the let's go to the crucifixion. Okay, take your picnic lunch. And they'd go. When they saw what took place, he says they went home. In Jewish language, this is. Oh, this is bad. <laughs> they knew. 
That's what Jesus is saying. One day you'll know that I am He. It's going to happen when you crucify me. He goes on, verse 28, more claims. I am under the Father's authority, He said. Verse 28, also in verse 28, He says that I speak just as the Father taught me. Not only what I heard from Him, but now He says what the Father taught me. And verse 29, He says, the One who sent me, who you figure out is God, is with me. So He's claiming not only that God sent Him, but that God is with Him. And He says in verse 29 also, He says, I always please Him. I always do what pleases Him. I please God in everything I do. These are astounding claims, by the way. Then it says that some of the folks that are there who are listening, they believe. They hear Jesus talking and they go, and they believe in Jesus. And then Jesus says, verse 31, He says, um, We go back to it. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, then you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Jesus is saying, My Word is the truth. If you follow it, My Word is the truth that sets you free. Jesus talked about the Father and about freedom. It changed the discussion. By the way, these things I think are happening so fast. You just look at all those claims from Jesus. The Jewish leaders don't know which ones to, which ones to react to. They're coming so fast. And the one that really got him was that last one. He's been talking about Father. That gets him. And then that last one, he talks about freedom. And they go, wait a minute. What do you mean free? We are descendants of Abraham. And we've never been slaves to anyone. If you say we need to be free, you're saying we're slaves. We've never been slaves, which is funny because they've been slaves to the Assyrians, the Babylonians. They were slaves to the Medo-Persians and to the Greeks. And now they're under the hand of, under the iron fist and thumb of Rome. They say, but we're free. But all that to say where they shift the topic and where the next whole little thing goes is to discussion about lineage, about parentage. Who's your daddy? Because they're saying very proudly there that we are the descendants of Abraham in verse 33. You go on down to verse 41 and they move it from Abraham to, yeah, and we have only one father and that is God. God is our father. And in the course of making those claims, they right before this, right before they claim that they have one Father who is God, they say, and by the way, we are not born of immorality. That is a snarky little snide little dig trying to say, Jesus, we know the rumors. <laughs> you, you are born out of an immoral relationship. Jesus points out, by the way, in response to that, that if God were their Father, if they were the true descendants of Abraham spiritually and not just physically... And if they were really God's children, then they would be acting like God. And if they were Abraham's children, really spiritually, they'd be acting like Abraham. And Abraham's actions were faith in God, belief in God, and obedience to God. He says, instead, you guys aren't believing God and you're trying to kill the one that God sent. And so, if we want to go by your actions, your father is not Abraham. Your father is the devil. Your father is the devil who's a murderer and a liar. That's verses 33 to 50. 
And by the way, argument tactics 101, we learn it at home with our brothers and in the schoolyard. When you realize you are not winning the argument, it's the time to start calling names. It's the time to start yelling out insults as big as you can. And so they, they realize they're losing the argument. Jesus has nailed them. While they may claim a physical heritage from Abraham, they are indeed trying to kill Jesus. They are not indeed acting like children of Abraham or children of God. And so they start hurling insults. Now, if you were growing up in Texas back in the old days, it would mean you say something like, you're a yellow-bellied, chicken-livered uh, horse thief. You know? But there in first century Israel, and the meanest thing, the most vile thing they could think of, and they say it down in verse 48, and the Jews say, aren't we right to say you're a Samaritan? And you have a demon. That's the two worst things they could think of. A Samaritan. You remember from before in our lessons how they viewed Samaritans. Well, that's the general part of this section. That's how it goes. Let's quickly, I'm just going to go through and just again, just note the claims that Jesus makes. And there's a bunch of them in this. Back in verse 38, Jesus says, I speak what I have seen with my Father. Now Jesus is saying, he said, I spoke what I've learned from my Father now, and what I've heard from Him, now what I've seen with my Father. He says again I, in verse 40, I speak the truth which I heard from God. Now you seek to kill me. Not, and a man who has told you not just what I heard from God, but I tell you the truth, what I heard from God. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God. There's a big claim. And I'm here. And I came not of my own accord. It wasn't my idea to come here. I came at His direction, at God's direction. And He sent me. Big claims. Verse 46. Which of you convicts me of sin? Jesus says, I have no sin. Whoa. Big claim. Verse 50, I honor the Father, but you dishonor me. By the way, these are some key verses. I, honor, I do not have a demon, he says, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. The next verse, verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. See, Jesus says, I'm honoring the Father, but you dishonor me. And while I don't seek my own honor, somebody is seeking to honor me. And guess who He is? He's the judge. You know, if you're getting ready to go to trial, and you're on trial for your life, it's a real good idea not to spit in the face of the judge as he walks by. That, in essence, is what Jesus is saying here. The Father sent me, and I honor Him, but you dishonor me. So when you dishonor me, you dishonor the One who sent me. And the One who sent me is all about my honor, and He's the One you're going to stand in front of as the judge one day. This is a sober warning to these folks. 
And after all of their insults, not only does Jesus graciously give them a warning, but He gives them a gracious invitation in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps My Word, he will never taste death. Jesus' claim here is He has the power over death and the power to give eternal life. But He gives it as an invitation. If you will keep My Word, if you'll believe in Me, follow Me, you'll never see death. You'll have eternal life. Outrageous claims for a man to make. And believe me, these guys think these are absolutely outrageous. Look at their response, verse 52. Their response is, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. (laughs) Abraham died as did the prophets and yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? You say you can give eternal life. Abraham died, he's gone. The prophets came and they died and they're gone. Are you bigger than them? Just who do you think you are? Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? The answer is yes, by the way. (laughs) But that's their question. And they're asking, who are you making yourself to be? The answer, by the way, is Jesus isn't making Himself anything. Jesus is just saying who He is. There's a difference. In human terms, most of us spend a lot of our time pretending to be what we aren't. Making ourselves look a little bigger, a little taller, a little thinner than we really are. So we suck in our gut, we stand up tall, we we try to inflate our resume, we try to build things up so we look a little bigger than we are. And Jesus doesn't do that. And they're saying, who are you trying to claim to be? And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about what I claim to be. This is just what I am. Jesus says, you're right, by the way, verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It means nothing for me to say, I'm this, and you guys look at me and I look like any other average person. Who would believe it? But Jesus says, what matters is my Father. What He says. And Jesus says, it is my Father who glorifies me. God, in many ways through the Gospels when you look, glorifies the Son, even sometimes verbally and audibly. When Jesus was baptized, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus says, by the way, in case you're confused about who the Father is, Look there in verse 54 again. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me of whom you say He is our God. Who is Jesus saying is His Father? God. I am God's Son. That's not enough. He goes on. You keep going. Jesus says, verse 55, But you have not known Him. You claim to know God, but guys, the truth is you don't know God. But I do know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I know Him, and the evidence, I keep His Word. Jesus says, 
I know God. Verse 56, he keeps going. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham rejoiced for my day. Abraham, from way back 2,000 years before Christ, Abraham, as God gave to him promise after promise and, and made covenants with Abraham, as Abraham experienced God's encounters with God, not the least of which I think was when he was called upon to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And, and you remember the whole story and God provided another all, another sacrifice. And he was looking forward to a time when God would one day send His own Son and not spare His Son. I think all of these things and so much more, Abraham looking down through the uh, corridors of history is looking to all the promises that God has made and knowing that God will ultimately fulfill every promise even as He fulfilled the promise that seemed so impossible that He would have a descendant. And Abraham is looking to all of these things and most especially toward the promise and the fulfillment of the promise of the coming Messiah who would be the one that was even promised back in Genesis chapter 3, the Redeemer, the Rescuer. And Abraham rejoiced knowing God would do what he said. That's what Jesus is saying. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and here I am. The religious leaders, though, as Jesus says that, they grasp on something because what they hear Jesus say isn't that Abraham looked forward to my day. What they hear Jesus saying is that Abraham rejoiced to see me, and I, I enjoyed seeing Abraham. And they said, verse 57, So, you are not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Now, what's ironic is he did. Genesis chapter 19, Jesus had lunch with Abraham. <laughs> but the Jews missed what Jesus said. Jesus said, He rejoiced to see my day. He rejoiced to see that I was coming and now I'm here. But since you mention that <laughs> Have I seen Abraham? Now we come to our verse. That was all the lead up to our verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You wonder if I was around to see Abraham? Yes. And more. They picked up stones to throw at Him, but Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple because Jesus said, I am. Now maybe these leaders were language majors in college and they're just really angry that Jesus used bad grammar and so that's why they want to stone Him. More likely, it's that they very well understood. No, definitely they understood that what Jesus is claiming here is to be God. Most of you know this passage already. You've heard this and I'm not going to tell you anything new, but Jesus said, I am, not I was. God does, Jesus doesn't say before Abraham was, I was. That would just mean that He just predated Abraham. Maybe He's reincarnated or He's just really, really old or whatever. But Jesus doesn't say I was. He says I am. That's present tense. And and it, what it means is that Jesus didn't just begin sometime before Abraham. It means Jesus always was and always is and always will be. 
And the Jews understood that and they also understood that for Him to say that, Jesus is borrowing the language from Exodus chapter 3 where God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And God calls Moses to go deliver the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And He's sending Moses back. And Moses says, wait God, when I go back, last time I tried to to deal with the people, they didn't want to listen to me. Who shall I tell them is sending me? And God says there in Exodus 3, He says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. When Jesus uses this word, now the third time He's used this phrase, I am, and He's using it though in this context, and it is crystal clear to these Jews that Jesus is using I am the same way God used I am there with Moses, that He is the one who always was and who always is and always will be. He is the one who is eternally existent, who is eternally self-sufficient, the one who from all things, as Colossians 1 says, we read, we read earlier, who from Him all things have come and for Him all things exist. Whom, by the way, Colossians 1 says is speaking of Jesus because Jesus and the eternal Creator God are one and the same. And these Jews get that's what Jesus is saying and they are down to there are only two logical actions that they can take. One is to bow at His feet and worship Jesus as God. Or else we pick up stones and kill Him as a blasphemer and a heretic. And they refuse to acknowledge Him as God. So, what does all this mean to us? Three takeaways that I'd like to leave us with this morning. One is just the answer to the question, does it matter that Jesus is God? Because some people wonder. The answer is absolutely. Your salvation, my salvation, depend upon it. If Jesus is not fully God, we have two big problems. The first is that with all the claims that Jesus makes here, just in this chapter... And again, if you've been writing them all down, you've got a list of 25 pretty astounding claims. And to be made of a man, they are ludicrous. And here to claim to be God, if, if Jesus isn't God, He's a fraud or a lunatic, and our faith is useless, and let's walk away. Secondly, if Jesus isn't infinite God, what that means is that His death cannot be infinitely sufficient. You see, a man, if he were a holy and righteous man, could die as a sacrifice for another man's sin. But Jesus could die for one man. Peter's in, the rest of us are out. Or maybe John. Who would he pick? (laughs) I'm being silly. For his sacrifice to cover the sins of the whole world, It has to be an infinite sacrifice. And only God can do that. Our salvation depends on it. Second takeaway, I think, for you and me is it ought to drive us to our knees in worship. The more you read through these marvelous things that Jesus says about Himself, it ought to cause us to wonder, 
just how great, as we sang first song today, how great is our God. How great is our Lord Jesus. It should cause us to marvel at the the wonder of the incarnation that God became one of us. That is John 1, chapter 1, verse 14 says that He became flesh and walked among us. It causes us to wonder, how does all that work? The intricacies, the mysteries of how the infinite God is nothing less than He ever is as God and yet He has added to that humanity and He has put God in the flesh. That ought to make your brain smoke. I don't understand it, but I believe it because God says it is so. And if it is not so, there is no hope. And I marvel at the incarnation, at the wonder of His love, that He would do that in order to come and die for you and for me. And that He put up with such grief and such attacks and such insults and such such slander from these idiots and from us. And yet even after their very worst insults, He responds with an invitation. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 51, if anyone keeps My Word, he will never see death. That was an invitation to everyone and any one of these religious leaders at that moment, if you will just receive, if you'll just believe me. I don't care that you called me awful names, that you assaulted my mother. <laughs> Bigger deal, you assaulted my father. There's forgiveness. Isn't that marvelous? We should worship Him. Last thing is this. The biggest, most important thing is we should believe in Jesus. Because being religious cannot save you. If going to church and giving offerings and doing religious stuff could save you, these religious leaders were in. They had it made. The reality is they're lost. And Jesus said, unless you believe that I, I am, you will die in your sin. There's no other way. Being religious won't save you. Having a godly heritage won't save you. You can have a parents that went to church and, and brought you to church every day of your life while you were young. You could have grandparents who are, who are believers in Christ and great-grandparents who are believers in Christ. You can go all the way back to you know your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
It's a reminder that faith is not just saying, yeah, 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 I believe. We talked about that last week. I love the way that the... um, I'll end with this. uh, John Calvin, that old reformer, he put it this way, Christ promises eternal life to His disciples, but He demands disciples who will not merely nod their assents like donkeys. (laughs) Have you ever seen... You know, you, you sit in church and and the pastor is preaching and people are out there and like donkeys, they go, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's what, he, that's what Calvin is saying. <laughs> and then they go out and they live just like they were before they came in. But while they're in here, they nod their assents like donkeys. And Jesus says, real faith, if I can paraphrase, real faith shows up in real life. Belief isn't just saying, aha. Uh-huh. Real belief makes a difference in how we live this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day and next week. Father, this is a marvelous passage. It's challenging to us. The same time, and it's hard to understand parts of it. So much here, so much to take in. And yet it is a spectacular passage as we see the glory of Jesus Christ. God who became man. How it calls us to worship at His feet. How it calls us to marvel at Your great love and grace that You, you would become one of us in order to save us. Father, don't let us just look in the mirror here of Your Word and turn away like the religious leaders did. They saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They witnessed the miracles. They heard all these things and they refused to believe. Also, Father, don't let us be like those who might say they believe, but then never let it make a difference in their life and thus fool ourselves. For You've called us to follow You. Lord, may that be...